0: So two weeks ago, uh, in Milton, Georgia, four teenagers were arrested for stealing a goat from the backyard of one of their girlfriend's ex-girlfriend's uncles. So they, they stole a goat from this guy's backyard. The reason that they stole this goat was that one of the boys wanted to use this goat to help him ask a girl to the prom. And I, go with me on this. He wanted to be able to say, and I'm, I'm not making this up. He wanted to be able to say, "Will you go with me to the prom?" <laughs> I, I guess that's the way it works in Georgia. I don't. I, I'm getting evil looks from the back. Um, the the article goes on to say. The teens were pulled over by police, who, upon discovery of the goat and a wallet found at the scene of the crime, were able to connect the four to the goat, goat burglary. So, good, good police work there. Um, we're gonna we're gonna talk about stealing today. We're gonna talk about theft and and what that is. And my guess is that most of us don't think we have a problem with stealing. Uh, Barna Research did uh, some some, some surveys a few years ago and found that 86% of people feel like they're keeping the Eighth Commandment do not steal pretty well. 86% of people said, I don't don't really have a problem with that one. Uh, John Newton, the the slave trader who was converted to Christianity and and wrote the song Amazing Grace, uh, was was a man who was vile in many ways before his conversion, did did a lot of, of bad things. But he was accused once of stealing something in his pre-Christian days, and he said he was indignant about that because I've done everything else, but I've I've never done that. I've never stolen from my employer before. So it's something that a lot of us probably think that that we don't have a problem with this one. And so you may be tuning me out already. So before we start, I wanna give you two reasons to, to pay attention. Number one, stealing is not just taking what what's not yours to take it's also keeping what's not yours to keep stealing is not just taking what's not yours to take it's also keeping what's not yours to keep in other words taking something isn't the only way you can steal you can also steal by keeping something even keeping something that you've earned All right? you curious about that at all? All right, well, you're going to have to wait a minute. Uh, Number two, when we lack generosity, when we lack generosity, it's an indication of how little, if any, difference the gospel is actually making in our lives. Uh, Our generosity is kind of like a fuel gauge that really shows whether our hearts are being filled with the gospel or not. So... Two reasons, and you're here anyway, so you might as well listen. So uh, let me read Ephesians 4, verse 28, short text this week. This is God's word. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. That's God's word. Let me pray for us. Uh, Father, help us as we uh, look at your word this morning. Uh, Help me to speak uh, faithfully to it uh, and give us ears to see, ears to hear, and and eyes to see and hearts to believe your word. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, three things. Uh, And this is basically Paul's exposition of the Eighth Commandment. Thou shalt not steal. This is Paul applying it to our lives. Three things. What is stealing? why is generosity so difficult? And how do I get there? What is stealing? Uh, Why is generosity so difficult? And how do I get there? First of all, what is stealing? And and, and two things stealing is taking what isn't yours to take and keeping what isn't yours to keep. So let's let's break those down. Uh, First of all, it's taking what isn't yours to take. Now, Uh, I I mentioned a few weeks ago when we were looking at one of the other commandments that the larger catechism is a catechism our church uses. And they've got this really long section where they break down the commandments and give you a long list of here's what this commandment requires and here's what it forbids. Kind of like the the Heidelberg Catechism just did in our call to worship. Here's some of the things they say that they're saying. Here's things that the Bible covers under the topic uh, of stealing. Uh, And I'm not reading all of them, but a few of them. Theft robbery, man stealing, which would have been the slave trade, which if John Newton had been aware at that time, he was actually involved in theft, uh, stealing people, Uh, receiving anything that's stolen, false weights and measurements, injustice and unfaithfulness in contracts, oppression, extortion, usury, which is lending an excessive interest, bribery, unjust enclosures and depopulations now i've been watching y'all um i'm just kidding now uh, what I, that was just fun to me what's an what's an unjust enclosure and depopulation well in england they used to have land and it was owned by the lord but everybody else was allowed to graze their cattle on it and so for you to create an unjust enclosure would be to fence it off and not let everybody else graze on that land so that's an unjust enclosure. A depopulation was a reference to buying up large tracts of land to form an estate and basically running everybody else off the land, kind of forcing people off the land so that you could gather their property uh, for yourself. Uh, Isaiah 5, 8, woe to those who join house to house and who add field to field until there is no more room and you are made to dwell alone in the midst of the land. Uh, and Micah addresses this as well, but basically forcing people out of their homes so that you can then gather that land for yourself would be a depopulation. Uh, another interesting is engrossing commodities to, to, um, to enhance the price. Now, I know we have some economic people in here, but I think this is what this means. It would be something like buying up all the corn and hoarding it so that then you can jack up the price and force everybody to pay more for it. And so they, they considered engrossing commodities to be a form of theft. Uh, coveting, inordinate desire for worldly goods, envying at the good of others, laziness are some of the things that they would consider to be stealing, that biblically we would consider to be stealing. Uh, some other things we might think of under this category today, uh, Ponzi schemes. Swindling somebody by taking advantage of their lack of education. Um, If I'm selling you something, hiding something that's wrong with it, and then selling it to you like everything's okay with it, misrepresenting what it is that I'm selling to you would be stealing. We steal when we don't do our jobs well. Uh, We steal when we goof off on our jobs. Uh, We steal when we lie about how much we've actually worked, when we add to our timesheet. Uh, we still, when we don't pay our debts, properly, uh, when we don't pay our taxes, when we don't pay our employees a fair wage, um, we still, when we sell a product that doesn't do what it's supposed to do, and we know that, uh, an insurance company would be stealing when they just deny claims out of hand to see if they can get you to give up on getting the, the money for your claim. That would be uh, a form of theft. Uh, shoplifting is in this category Uh, one of one of Shakespeare's contemporaries wrote a pamphlet on shoplifting in which he said shoplifters should be attired in the form of a civil country gentleman so if you want to shoplift you can try that I don't think it'll work today Um, according to the website for the National Association for shoplifting prevention um, (laughs) important part of the title uh, they say that that, so consider, you know, maybe they have a vested interest in this, but they say that 10 million people have been caught shoplifting uh, in the last five years. And that approximately one out of, 11, out of every 11 people in the U.S. is a shoplifter. So one, two, three. So, <laughs> and, and maybe they have a vested interest in this. I think that might be a little high, but maybe it's not. When I, when I dropped out of law school, I got a job working in a sporting goods store, and this is the path of success. I got, a, I got a job working in a sporting goods store in a mall, and it was right before Christmas, and the first thing they had me to do was to stand and to watch the baseball caps. Like, that was my whole job, was watch the baseball caps, because so many people come in and steal them, uh, especially around Christmas. So uh, shoplifting, um, and then, then our least favorite, uh, stealing software, downloading music, movies, television shows uh, that, that aren't really ours to take. It's, it's intellectual property. See, that one, like, it got real with that one. Y'all are happy if I'm talking about engrossing commodities. Uh, but when you start talking about, oh, yeah, but it's just, it's not hurting anybody. Well, it actually is uh, a type of theft. So it's taking, stealing is taking what isn't yours to take, All right? Now, that's, that, that's fairly common sense. We don't think about all those aspects of it, maybe. Stealing is also keeping what isn't yours to keep. Paul says that not only you shouldn't steal, but that you should work. And Why should you work? In order that you can share with those who are in need. Uh, you don't just work in order to build up treasure for yourself, but part of the reason that you work so that you can then give some of that treasure away. Now, let me give you a a few biblical examples of this. Um, Deuteronomy 15, among other places, the Bible commands us to give to the poor. Uh, The Israelites were told to be open-handed, open-handed with a poor person and to give him what he needed. And they were told to do this even if they knew the seventh year was coming. Now, what's the big deal about the seventh year? Well, the seventh and every seventh year, all the debts were canceled, which would mean you just loan him some money and now he doesn't have to pay you back. But God says, lend with an open hand anyway. Uh, We're to be concerned not just with the spiritual needs of the people around us, but with the physical needs of the people around us as well. Uh, Secondly, the Bible tells us to take care of our families. 1 Timothy 5.8, if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for his immediate family, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So you can steal in that sense by keeping what isn't yours to keep. Uh, Thirdly, we're to give and to be generous to all people, especially uh, other believers. Galatians 6.10, let me me read three verses for you real quick. Galatians 6.10, therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people. Especially to those who belong to the family of believers, Acts four twenty four, talking about the early church, there were no needy persons among them. From time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money for the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone as he had need. James two fourteen through seventeen. and possessions is not to cling, for, cling to them and keep them all to ourselves, but we're given them so that we can then share with those who are in need. Giving is one of the ways that we love our neighbors. All right, uh, a fourth way we're also called to give. Uh, we're also called to give to God, as it were. Let me read to you from Malachi chapter three, uh, verse seven. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you in your tithes and contributions? You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Um, Y'all may have heard the, the, the story of the preacher who was talking about money. There were three preachers talking about money and one of them said, well, look, the way we decide what God keeps and we keep is I draw a line and I, I throw the money up in the air and whatever falls on that side, God gets to have and whatever falls on this side, we get to have. And there's another preacher that said, well, I draw a, a circle and throw the money up in the air and whatever falls outside the circle, God gets to keep and whatever's inside the circle, we keep. And then the third preacher said, I just throw all the money up in the air and whatever God takes, he can keep. <laughs> so, um... I, I want to talk about tithing uh, and giving as it relates to the church just a minute. Um, and I know that some of you have had bad experiences with churches where it seemed like they just talk about money and giving all the time. Uh, and some of you have been involved in churches where they were building programs that seemed to go on and on and on and on and on. And, on, and you just got tired of people constantly asking for your money. And, and I get that. Uh, in fact, one of the reasons we don't pass the plate here at Grace, we have, a, we have a box in the back, but one of the reasons that we do that is to intentionally push back against the idea that the church is just after your money. Uh, and if you're here uh, and you're not a Christian, or if you're here and you're just visiting and you're, you're checking things out, I don't want you to feel any pressure to give at all. I just want you to come and listen and, and see what you think about all this. But if you are a believer, uh, the, the fact is that a portion of our income is to be given for the, toward the ministry of the gospel. And the standard that's laid out for that in the book of Malachi is a tithe, uh, or a tenth of our income. Um, and I think that giving starts with your local church. Make sure your, your pastors are paid, your staff is paid. Uh, the bills are paid that we can rent a place like this to worship in. Um, right now, as a church, we are actually dependent on other churches to be able to worship. All right, we're we're kind of on church welfare, I guess. Um, I mean, other people enable us to be here. Somebody giving money at another church is enabling you to come here and to worship as a part of Grace Presbyterian Church. And so our goal as we seek to become a particular church is to move away from that so that we are actually meeting our needs from within uh, this congregation. Uh, Meeting our needs and also hopefully having additional money to to just give away. Uh, Right now in our budget, our budget, yearly budget is $140,000. And we give, we we tie the 10th of that. Uh, We give $600 to RUF at Wofford. Uh, We give $200 a year to a couple of RUF interns at other places, and then we set aside $600 for mercy ministry, various needs that people come to us with in the community. Um, That's 10% of our budget. What if we were able to get to the point where we could give away 50% of our budget? That we just operated off of 50% of what came in here from us, and we just gave all the rest of that away? I mean, what if instead of giving RUF $600 a year, we could give them $6,000 a year or $20,000 a year, and David didn't have to trace as much all over the country trying to raise money for this ministry that's right at our back door? Uh, what if we were able to give enough where we were able to see an RUF presence established at Converse or at USC Upstate, uh, places like that? What if we were able to, to have enough money that we were able to use some of that to go to alleviating some of the poverty that exists uh, in and around Spartanburg. Now, uh, some people say, well, you know, tithing, that was just in the Old Testament, and and that's not binding on us anymore. Uh, And and, you know, Paul doesn't appeal to the tithe uh, in the text in 2 Corinthians, uh, where he encourages giving. Uh, But think about it like this. Think about how much better understanding we have of the gospel than Old Testament believers did. Think how dimly they saw that. We're on this side of the cross. They were there before the cross. Think how much better we understand the generosity of God than an Old Testament believer would have understood the generosity of God. Do you think we ought to be more generous than they were or less generous? Now that Jesus has come, should we now be people who give less than people that didn't even fully understand the gospel in the way that we understand it? The gospel ought to make us generous people, and you've got to start somewhere. And, and the biblical standard has been a tithe, a tenth. And so that's, that's where we ought to start in our giving. I think tithing at the end of the day is an issue a lot like the Sabbath, you know, am I gonna am I gonna trust God to provide me if I stop working for a day? Am I gonna trust God to provide for me if I like take my check and I just give ten percent of it away off the top? Do I really believe that God's gonna take care of me or am I gonna try to retain control and say, I wanna I wanna take care of this, I've gotta take care of this myself? I think it's also an earthly treasure issue, uh, and us not believing there really is more joy to be had in, in giving than in storing up treasures for ourselves. Um, we steal by taking what isn't ours to take, but we also steal by keeping what isn't ours to keep. The, the resources that we have, the resources that we have are not simply ours to hold on to for ourselves. That doesn't mean we don't save. All right, that's, that's biblical to save. It doesn't mean you can't spend money on fun things. It's biblical to spend money on, on, on fun things. Uh, 1 Timothy 6, uh, God provides us everything richly for our enjoyment. So, yeah, do, do fun things with your money. Go out to eat. But our money, in an ultimate sense, is not ours. It actually belongs to God. It's his. And he's given it to you to steward his resources for him. Uh, Psalm fifty ten: Every animal in the forest is mine, and this is God, and the cattle on a thousand hills. <clears throat> and he's not saying there are all these, like, feral cows running around, that these belong to God, and, and you know, everybody else. And no, he's saying all the cows, everything belongs to God. The cattle on a thousand hills is God. Psalm 24. The earth is the Lord and everything in it, everything in the earth, everything in the world belongs to God. Anything that you and I have is not really ours anyway. It actually belongs to him. We've been given it by God. And you, know, you may say, now wait, now I worked for that. You did and that's good, but who gave you the hands to work with? Did you grow those hands? Just like, I need some hands. Uh, god gave you those hands who gave you the vision that you have god gave you that vision who gave you the mind to think your and my very existence is a gift from god all that we have is a gift from god and he's given us this awesome responsibility to take the talents we have and the gifts we have and to use those to manage creation according to his priorities to take care of the world around us to use the gifts, the money, the resources that we have for God's glory and for the good of the people around us. Now, think about it like this. If you were the groundskeeper for the Atlanta Braves, well, that's probably be a fun job to have, and you suddenly said, you know what, I take care of this field every day. This field is really mine. And so I'm going to plant a pecan tree in, in left center field because we need some shade out there and we need some nuts to bring in. And so we're going to plant a pecan tree out there and I think we're going to make a beach down the third base line. And second base is getting all beat up. Where everybody slides there. And so we're going to make a big detour around second base. And then, then you guys, this is such a great field. All you players are coming in. You're going to have to pay me for the privilege of, of playing on my field. We would all say, well, that's kind of silly. It's not really his field. He's just being given the field to steward the field. It's the same way with us. Whatever we have, whatever we've worked for, we've actually been given it by God to steward it for Him. Or uh, imagine this way: imagine if if your financial manager, uh, financial advisor, started started using the money in your 401k. And said, "I'm just going to do with this whatever I want to do." He just started spending your money. He's not there to spend your money. He's there to manage your money. The things that we have are not really ours. Our money is not really our money in the ultimate sense. We're stewards of the resources that we have for God, for God. We steal by taking what isn't ours to take, but we can also steal by keeping what isn't ours to keep. So instead of stealing, what does Paul say to do here? Paul says to work. He says to work to work diligently. Um, And he doesn't get into this here, but we're created by God to work, to labor. It's a part of who we are. Um, Work isn't something that we're made to try to get out of and to do as little of as possible. We're designed to cultivate and and care for and actually steward God's creation. And when we lose that, we really do lose something of, 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 of who we are and who we're created to be. Um, parents, are, are we teaching our children the value of work? Are we teaching our children the value of work? That the goal of life is not just to, to get to the point where you can play video games and watch Netflix 20 hours a day, um, although maybe that's called college. I don't know. But, but that's, sorry, just kidding. Uh, but but that's, not the, that's, not the, that's not the goal of life. Are we teaching our children the value of work? And really, we steal when we're able to work and there's work available and we don't work. Right, that's, that's, that's stealing. We're designed to work. Um, students, seriously, are, are, you, are you thinking about your careers in terms of not just what you're good at, not just what you enjoy, but are you looking at the gifts that you've been given and saying, how can I use the gifts that God has given me for His glory, and to, and to serve the people around me? Not just so I can make the most money, not just so I can do a glamorous job, not just so I can make it and live the dream, but are you considering what job is gonna best enable me to love God and to serve my neighbor? What job can you pursue that would actually contribu- contribute to the flourishing of human community? That's not necessarily Christian ministry. In fact, it's probably not uh, Christian ministry. And look, I hope you all find jobs making a gazillion dollars a year. But if you do, give a lot of that money away. You need to give a lot of that money away and not simply use it for yourself. Stealing is taking what's not ours to take. Stealing is also keeping what's not ours to keep. Now, why is this so difficult? And I'll be quicker on these last two points. Why is being generous so difficult? I think generosity is difficult because we look to to money to give to us what only God can give. It's difficult because we look to money to give to us what only God can give. Money can become an idol to us. But the reality is there's kind of money that's the surface idol, and then there's always these these other idols underneath money sort of driving the whole thing. We use money. We use money to get power. We use money to get approval. We use uh, money to get comfort. We use money to get control. We treat money like a savior that's going to save us, deliver us, protect us, remove us from all the difficulties of the world that we live in. And if if money is your savior, if money is your life jacket, put it like that. If money is your life jacket, and you think that money is the only thing that's keeping you afloat, then it's really hard to take that life jacket off. Because it's, it's, it's your savior, and I don't want to take that off and actually give it to another person. And the danger is the danger for all of us is that without the gospel, Money is like this life jacket that we have on that keeps getting tighter and tighter. It's like it grows tentacles down into us, right? Think about the next time you're wearing a life jacket. But like it really, like it attaches itself to us. Uh, I was listening to a a TED talk about money recently, uh, and the study was done in which participants were asked to give $10 to a stranger. And I don't remember the, the exact numbers, uh, but but the, the poorer people in the study were something like 45% more likely than the wealthier people in the study to actually give $10 to somebody who asked them for that money. It, it wasn't just that it was their life jacket. They thought they had earned that life jacket, and so they had a hard time giving that money away. So if money is such a powerful thing in our lives... How do we become generous? How do we become generous? You need a better life jacket. It's that simple. You you, you need a better life jacket. You need to come to the point where you begin to realize that money isn't the savior that you think it is. It will let you down. And you need a better life jacket. You need a better savior. You need Jesus. Uh, Having money isn't power. Having Jesus is power. Jesus is, is all-powerful. Money isn't. Money can't give you the ability to control everything, although we think that it can. It, it does not give us the ability to control everything. It doesn't give you the security you think it's giving you. I, I heard a story this week about uh, this guy was out skiing. It was fresh powder. He thought he was the only guy out there. And then he looked up above him, and there was this mom and dad, and they were playing with their like 18-month-old kid, and they had him on those little tiny red sleds. You remember those? Well, if you grew up where there was snow, tiny red sled, and they're 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 pushing this kid back and forth, and like the dad would send him down the slope a little way, and then the mom would catch him, and then they move a little further down. They were doing this going down the mountain, and the dad pushed him down the slope, and the mom bent over to to catch him, and he went right between her legs. And so this kid is hurtling down the mountain in his red sled. And the guy down low, like, sees this happen. And, like, he's trying to position himself to get in front of the sled. And there's a place where there was kind of a little bit of a, of a hill, a little bit of a ramp. And he, he knew he was going to lose sight of the baby. And so he just moves himself over. And he's trying to guess where that baby's going to come. And he sees, like, a big pipe sticking out of the ground from a snowmaking machine or whatever. And he's scared the baby's going to hit that And then all of a sudden, he sees his kid just come hurtling over in the sled right into his arms, and he he catches his kid. Now, that has a happy ending, but my point to that is we're all that little kid in the sled. You are not in control. We are not as in control of our lives as we think we are. I mean, things could just go crazy tomorrow, and we could all be standing out in a food line somewhere. Not like a food line grocery store, but a food line like the Great Depression kind of food line. Like, we we don't realize how fragile things are and how little we are actually in control. Jesus is. Jesus is. Money can't buy you control, but you can know a Savior who is in control. Having money can't bring you any comfort in the face of death, but knowing the one who is the resurrection and the life can. Money can't buy you everyone's approval, but if you have Jesus you have the smile of the father and if you have the smile of the father does it really matter what everybody else thinks of you you become generous you become generous by seeing that the life jacket of money isn't the savior that you think and i've always thought it is and when you let go of money and you grab hold of jesus and when you grab hold of jesus You're not depending on money any any longer, so you're able to start giving it away, giving away, because it's not your Savior, Jesus is. And so the question, one of the questions I want to challenge us with is, what's what's really my life jacket? What What am I really depending on? Am I depending on my wealth, or am I depending on Jesus? Now, four things. And we'll close, and I I want this to be practical for us. And maybe I should have said this up front, but as you're thinking about this, look at yourself and not the person next to you. Look at yourself and not the person next to you. We love to think sermons about money are about somebody besides us, right? We love to think they're about somebody besides us. And it's generally middle class. It's like, we're in the, in the great position that we get to throw stones at the poor people and at the rich people, right? We get to, be, we get to feel like we're superior to, to both of them. And so what I want to encourage you to do is to look at your own heart and not to try to examine the lives of the people around you. Uh, Dave Ramsey, you guys know Dave Ramsey, the, the, the financial guru guy. He got in kind of hot water recently because he spent all this money on this great big mansion. And everybody's like, oh, you're just, you know, you're using all your money on yourself and you're taking money. from, You're telling everybody how to use your money just so you can make more money. And he was kind of explaining to them why, you know, that he did give a lot of money away. And he finally used this example, which I, which I thought was great. He said he has a friend who's worth $2.2 billion. All right. billion dollars and that friend bought a car that was a hundred thousand dollar car and people were sending him hate mail for buying a hundred thousand dollar car when the reality is, Dave Ramsey said that this guy was giving away three hundred to five hundred million dollars a year so I, I wanna kinda say up front, wealth in itself is not, or on the end, wealth in itself is not like this Bad thing, and you can't look at other people and the way they spend money and make these value judgments about whether they're generous or not. Because the fact is, somebody can be driving a lot nicer car than you and have a lot nicer clothes than you, and at the same time, they're much more generous than you. You just can't look at people and make those determinations. You have to you have to look at your own heart and not compare yourself to the people around you, your socioeconomic bracket, the church, or whatever. So look at your own heart and say, am I being generous? Let God deal with you and your heart on this, not with everybody else. All right, secondly, um, if you're going to be generous, m- most of us anyway, if you're going to be generous, you need some kind of budget. All right, you need some kind of budget. Uh, and you've got to get out of debt. You can't be generous if you're, if you're in debt. They, they don't work together. And so I, I never do anything like this, but I'm gonna actually recommend software um, and don't pirate it, um, <laughs> since, we're, since we're talking about this. But there's this great program out there called You Need a Budget. It's called YNAB, and Susan and I have just started using it. And it's, I mean, it's it's great. It's kind of like a combination of Quicken and the Envelope System, except it's all digital. Uh, it's all online. You put it on your iPhone and on your and on your computer. And I'd be happy to show you how it works. But you, but you need a budget. If you are going to be generous, you've got to figure out what you're spending your money on right now. And you've got to get out of debt in order to have some money to actually give away. Um, number three, how much? All right, so how much should I give away? How much should I give away? Well, start with a tithe. Um, and if you're not there yet, try to work to that. But, but then what? John Newton was asked uh, by a young man, he wrote him a letter, and he said, how much of my money should I be giving away to church and to the poor? And this is Newton's reply, I think it's great. He said, you've got to work this out on your own conscience, but here are my suggestions. In other words, I'm not going to bind your conscience on this, but, but here are some suggestions for you. Divide your life into three categories. Necessities, the power bill, things like that. Food, necessities, conveniences, and luxuries. All right? Then look at what you spend on um, conveniences and luxuries. And for every cent you spend on yourself, give a cent away to the poor. For every cent you spend on yourself, and I'm not binding you to that. I'm just telling you this is John Newton's advice. Take care of your necessities, and then look at your conveniences and your luxuries, And for every cent you spend on yourself, try to give that much money away. Uh, And the guy wrote him back, obviously. He's not just going to let that stand. Uh, He writes him back, and he says, is that really safe? Shouldn't I be trying to to save more for an inheritance? And it's a good thing to leave an inheritance, but shouldn't I be saving more for that? And, um, you know, John, you're asking me to give away 25% of my money. Is that really a wise thing for me to do? And this is what Newton said. He said, I would have you attend to your wife and children's inheritance. I'd have you attend to it very much. But the scriptures show you a more excellent way. If you had a little money to spare, wouldn't you lend it to me if I assured you I would repay you whenever you needed it? Well, read Proverbs 19, 17. He who is kind to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will reward him for what he has done. He who is kind to the poor lends to the Lord. And he will reward you for what you have done. Newton then said, what do you think of that text? Is that the word of God or not? What do you think of that text? Is that the word of God or not? See, I'd say a loan made to God is a pretty safe loan for you and I to make. And that's what we do when we give to the poor. We're actually loaning to God is the way Proverbs describes it. And then the final thing, I'm just going to say this. Second Corinthians eight, nine, for, you know, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich, yet for your sakes, he became poor that you through his poverty might become rich. Let me pray for us. Father, I I pray more than anything in all this that we would, we would get the sense of that last verse and that that would be the one we, we go home and think about that we would see the generosity of Christ toward us and that that in turn would make us generous people. Uh, Work on our hearts in this, Lord. We pray it uh, in Jesus' name. Amen.